Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. Workers are furious, so why aren't capitalist parties suffering? Capitalist governments across the planet are presiding over incompetent, inefficient and inhuman responses to the COVID-19 pandemic. Nonetheless, most are riding high in opinion polls. This is true in Britain too, despite being on course for the worst death toll in Europe. While workers suffer and die on the front line or on furlough, public criticism of the Tories is muted. Even the trade union and Labour Party leaders seem to be backing so-called national unity. So, is this catastrophe helping the right? Or are there more profound processes playing out beneath the surface? This episode of Socialism Asks, will this help the left or the right? Coronavirus, radicalisation and national unity. All right, you ready, yeah? I'm ready. Smashing. This episode, we're going to be talking to Socialist Party General Secretary Hannah Sell. Hello again, Hannah. Hi, James. And we're going to be talking about whether this profound crisis around the world, but particularly in Britain, is going to benefit the forces of capitalism, the forces of the right, or whether it's going to provide bigger openings for the left and for socialists. So let's start with this. The Socialist Party has been critical, shall we say, of the government's handling of this crisis. However, the Tories are doing well in the opinion polls. Why is that? I mean, they are. That's true. But in our view, it would be a very big mistake to think that what that represents is long-lasting or deep-rooted support for the Tory party. Mm -hmm. Um, Comparisons have been made between fighting the coronavirus and fighting a war. And I think there is a, a valid comparison in terms of how governments are treated. Often in the early stages of a war, then there is a kind of mood of national unity, which of course governments try to build on, Mm -hmm. that we've all got to come together to defeat the enemy. Mm. And that's what's taking place now. To use a kind of slightly frivolous analogy, if you're in an out-of-control car with somebody, you may not be happy with their driving, but you don't usually grab the steering wheel from them just then. (laughs) Uh, You wait until it's done with. And I think that's what's happening now. It's not... People are not happy with the government, Mm. but they feel there's no choice but to put up with the people who are in charge at the moment and get through this crisis, which, of course, is worrying everybody, and then deal later with the mistakes that have been made. And to continue the war comparison, then if you look at the end of the Second World War, today, kind of what you learn in school is all about how Churchill was a hero and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But of course, in 1945, he was defeated in a landslide for Labour (laughs) as a result of the enormous accumulated class anger that had developed during the Second World War. And, I mean, that will happen at a certain point. Mm -hmm. Obviously, at the moment, we're in lockdown. Even at the moment, I think we could see kind of eruptions of class anger Mm -hmm. happening. But right now, we also have to be aware that the capitalist class are really whipping up this mood of national unity on a massive scale. Mm. And, I mean, one aspect of that is cynically trying to celebrate the heroes of the NHS. I mean, Uh of course, they are heroes. But I think it was Friday, every newspaper, every daily paper in the country had a wraparound funded by the government 
telling us all to go and clap for NHS workers <laughs> on a Thursday evening. And lots of us are doing that anyway. But of yeah. course, it's not lost on NHS workers. They may not be expressing it too much at the moment, but it's not lost on them that they are having to manage with massively insufficient PPE, understaffed, and that is a result of decades of cuts and privatisation by the Tories that they're now having to deal with. And, of course, even during this crisis, when the health minister, Matt Hancock, was asked about a pay increase mm. for NHS workers, he said, now is not the time. <laughs> which, which tells you everything about their real attitude. But they're desperately trying to whip up this mood of we're all in this together, us and the health workers working hand in hand and back us through this period. And at the moment, that's bound to have a certain effect. But the question is, you know, at the end of all this, is it really going to be seen like that? A lot of people are asking this question. Won't the Tories be seen? to have done their best in a difficult situation. I mean, they've already stolen the clothes, apparently, of Jeremy Corbyn with all the funding and yeah. you know, part nationalisation and so on. Is this really going to be understood, some people will ask? Yeah, and I understand the question, because after all, people will say, this virus wasn't created by the Tories, mm. and they're trying. Any government would have difficulties, and so on and so forth. Of course. And on the surface, at the start of this, you could have said the Tories seemed to be in quite a strong position. After all, what three months earlier, they'd just won a general election and had the biggest majority for a Tory government since 1987. Mm -hmm. And actually, in 2019, there was a survey of government's readiness to handle pandemics. And Britain came out second in the world. Mm. Only the US, who are not doing fantastically well now either, <laughs> uh, beat uh, Britain in terms of its preparation. However, look, there's no capitalist government that has done a good job on this virus so mm. it's not like we're saying Ed somebody else has done brilliantly but it is absolutely clear that Britain the Tories have done particularly badly and that's from a whole number of points of view obviously there are the economic consequences mm -hmm. as this podcast is going out we've just had in the last few days government's office for budget responsibility forecasts who are saying there will be a 35 percent fall in economic activity in the second quarter which is just <sighs> it's gigantic it's unimaginable i mean like a three percent fall would be a catastrophe yes yeah. it's 10 times that absolutely and of course they're saying then there'll be a recovery but nonetheless First of all, how big will that recovery be? Mm. But secondly, it's unprecedented in terms of the fall in economic activity and it is having real effects on workers' lives now. Mm. The latest figures are that two million have applied for universal credit as a result of becoming unemployed. Mm. There are likely to be many more. It's estimated that companies are planning to furlough nine million workers. But the furloughing doesn't actually exist yet. The furlough payments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the concept exists. <laughs> we can't get the money. And I looked yesterday at the government's website and it says they hope it will be open by the end of April, the portal to claim the money. <laughs> so there could be a lot more companies deciding to lay workers off rather than furlough them mm. in the course of the coming days. And already, I mean, before this crisis... There were a million people in Britain using food banks, which, of course, is a condemnation, supposedly the fifth or sixth richest country in the world. But up and down the country, food banks are reporting a tripling or more of the number of people queuing up to use food banks. Mm. And they don't have enough food to feed them. So, that you know, there is real terrible misery developing economically for people as a result of this crisis. In Italy, they went within a few weeks from singing on their balconies to food riots. And, well, we never really did the singing bit, but the food <laughs> riots uh, could develop in Britain mm. the way things are heading. And then there's the health side of it. So 
Hospital-based deaths have passed 14,000, probably will go past 15,000 today. Mm. And we all know that's not the real figure. Probably thousands of people have died in care homes, large numbers in any case for certain. So the death rate is high and it's now widely accepted. Even one of the government's scientific advisers on emergencies, a member of the SAGE committee, Jeremy Farrar, has said that Britain is now on course to suffer the highest number of deaths in Europe. Mm. One survey estimated that 40% of the deaths in Europe could be in Britain. So everybody's suffering. And it'll be a while before there'll be a full balance sheet, but it's absolutely clear that things are going to be bad in Britain, that the government has not handled things well at all. So why is that? Well, no question, a major factor, which they're desperately trying to cover up, was their initial plan, which was to do nothing. Mm. The herd immunity strategy. We all remember them saying, well, 40 million people will catch COVID-19. And Johnson said, and many of your loved ones will die. And their their approach was to do nothing. It was incredible. When I first read that that was the approach, I honestly thought that it was a mistake, that it had been misreported. It just seemed insane. I know. But the 23rd of March, the NHS's digital planning arm still had herd immunity in the government strategy. So they deny it existed, but there is no question that was their initial approach. And we should be clear about that. That is not an accident. The Tories represent the interests of big business, the capitalist class. And from their point of view, the health of the population isn't the priority. Mm. The health of their profits, the health of the capitalist economy, that's their priority. And where taking no action to counter a disease does not have negative economic or political consequences for them, then they don't do anything. Mm. I mean, we've only got to look at the rest of the world to know that. Look at malaria. Worldwide, between 2010 and 2018, an average of 500,000 people a year died from malaria. It's been eradicated in Europe since, I think, about 1950. And to eradicate it worldwide would cost $90 billion. That's less than the US alone is spending on their stimulus package at the moment. In other words, it's a doable thing, Mm -hmm. but there's no profits in it. And so therefore, people continue around the world to die from malaria. And historically, that's been the Tories' approach to public health in Britain Mm. as well. Again, lots of comparisons are made with the 1918 flu pandemic. It killed 228,000 people in Britain. The British cabinet never discussed it. Not once, even though Lord George got it. They never never talked about it. It was only discussed in Parliament at the end of October 1918, which was weeks after the start of the second wave, which was the most deadly wave of the pandemic in which most people died. It was not made notifiable to the authorities until the third wave in 1919. And they literally did nothing. Everything continued as normal. Factories continued to work. The only change was they allowed smoking in factories because they thought smoking helped you not catch it. Um, (laughs) Mass gatherings continued. Everything continued as normal. And that is what their starting position was this time as well. Mm. But of course, they did a very rapid U-turn. But that was not because they suddenly realised the consequences for health. It was because they suddenly realised the consequences for their government Mm -hmm. and the mass unrest you would have seen because other countries in Europe were locking down. It was clear and they knew that the NHS would be overwhelmed if they didn't do anything. And they'd had previous pandemic drills carried out, which had shown that that's what would happen with a pandemic in Britain. 
And they therefore concluded that with everybody else locking down, if they did nothing and allowed the NHS to be overwhelmed, it would be politically enormously impossible for them. It would lead mm. to mass movements. So they belatedly tried to shift. But it was belatedly. And that left them with a number of problems. Globally, there's been this battle between the different capitalist powers to buy up PPE, medicines, other means to try and cope with the virus. Because 80% of the world's PPE is produced in China now. <laughs> we don't have a vaccine for this yet, but to give you an idea on the production of medicines, every second vaccine dose in the world is made in India. Mm. So the economically advanced capitalist countries in Europe and the US, they don't make a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So they had to scramble to get the stocks. And we've seen the examples, haven't we, of accusations of piracy, of mm -hmm. the US stealing German police masks and so on. Well, Britain was very late into that game because their initial approach was to not bother doing anything. Yeah. And so therefore they weren't able to get a lot of stuff. And by the way, their stocks of PPE were already very low. And this is austerity and the other reason the government has found it hard to cope. So after they found out about the fact the NHS would be overwhelmed in a pandemic, they didn't publish the report or do anything about it. <laughs> and meanwhile, the value of the PPE stockpiles of the NHS had fallen by 40% between 2013 and 2019. Mm. And the only conclusion you can draw from that is in order to cut spending, they'd cut back on stocks of things they didn't need that minute. That's the reality of what took place. And of course, we know NHS beds. Britain had one of the lowest in Europe in terms of intensive care beds, mm -hmm. 4,000 compared to, for example, 28,000 in Germany and came 35th in the World League table for the total number of hospital beds per 1,000 people. So this is the sixth largest economy on the planet, mm. but only 35th in terms of the number of hospital beds per head of the population. Exactly, and now you wonder why the NHS is struggling in the current situation. And just also it highlights that scrambling which you were talking about to get the equipment from other countries and this, you know, ripping each other off and so on. The, the different capitalist classes of the world robbing each other here who yeah. loses out? OK, even if those masks do end up in Britain, those are workers in other countries that are going to die. Yeah. The question should be about ramping up production, something which they keep promising, but doesn't happen. Exactly. Absolutely. And by the way, cuts also lie at the heart of the lack of testing in Britain. Mm. And new Labour, so the right-wing leadership of the Labour Party when they were in office, actually bear the central responsibility for this. Mm. Because in 2003... The Public Health Laboratory Service at that stage had a network of more than 50 laboratories across the country and in order to save money they cut it back and they centralised it dramatically and that is the central factor behind the lack of testing facilities in Britain. Of course they're desperately trying to ramp it up now but we all know Britain is miles behind mm. so on the 4th of April Germany had carried out 1.3 million tests whereas Britain had carried out 152 Thousands, you know. Uh, and now even Neil Ferguson, I think his name is, but the epidemiologist who's been advising the government all the way through has broken ranks and said the way out of this lockdown is testing and contract tracing on a massive scale. And why aren't you doing it? Mm. But they're not doing it. And that a big part of that is the austerity beforehand. Mm. The other just point I'd make on austerity 
is, of course, poverty and cuts don't just affect health in the terms of the health service and the ability to provide health care. It also affects the health of the population. Mm. And it's a fact in Britain that deaths from respiratory diseases are three times as high as the European average. And guess what? Liverpool, South Wales, Glasgow have the highest in Britain Mm. and they're the areas with the highest levels of poverty. So there's also the fact that there's millions of people who are already malnourished before this crisis begins, which are therefore are more susceptible. And look, right now, people are thinking this stuff, but they feel like it's not the moment necessarily to express it, although that can change. Mm -hmm. But they are thinking it, and it will be expressed. Of course, it's combined with the fact that, meanwhile, there's a few people on the planet who are doing very nicely indeed out of all of this. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, you know, it's, I never know if that's how you pronounce his name, but however you pronounce it, he's raking in even more billions as Amazon kind of serves the world in lockdown. People can see that. Mm. They can see, as you referred to earlier that the capitalists, in order to save their system, are prepared to rip up the rule book that they told us was absolutely vital and necessary and to carry out state intervention on a massive scale. Mm -hmm. Things that they were calling unthinkable and Marxist when (laughs) Corbyn was putting them forward, now they're going further, at least in some senses, than that. And, of course, that raises the question in people's minds. If you can do this to save your system, why can't we do it to have a system that's run in the interests of the majority? They've written off the PFI debts overnight, just like that. Mm -hmm. I think today they've announced they're going to put a billion pounds of emergency funding into the councils when they've told us there's no choice but to accept endless austerities in councils. And, unfortunately, Labour councils have gone along with that. Mm. So that's going to raise questions in people's minds and raise the possibility of socialism. I think there's one other thing that's going on in people's consciousness at the moment, which is very important. Okay. That is, who runs society? Because, mm. you know, we've been told forever, working class doesn't exist anymore, working class isn't important. <laughs> but everybody can see now, it's the essential workers who are keeping the show on the road. It is not the CEOs. It's the refuse workers. It's the healthcare workers. It's the delivery drivers. People who are all underpaid and in many cases are extremely low paid. And it's not just society as a whole that can see their vital role. Mm. It's those workers who can Mm -hmm. see their vital role and are going to be feeling after this, we want to be paid for that vital role, but also, collectively, we can run society, which raises the question of socialism, meaning democratic workers' control and management of industry in order to build a planned economy that can meet the needs of the population. And it's not just those workers who are actually still doing the jobs at the moment, but even those workers who've been furloughed or laid off, this 35% drop in the economy in the second quarter, it's the fact that workers aren't going in to make or to sell Mm. goods and services. That's why firms are going under. That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. So to go back to the start of this podcast, I mean, you've just made the point, this isn't being expressed right now, that a lot of people are noticing all these things and you wouldn't know it to read the established media. You wouldn't know it. It's all kept out of there. No one's saying it right now. I mean, we're saying it. The official leaders of the workers' movement, the heads of the trade unions and the new leader of the Labour Party, Sir Keir Starmer, they're actually being quite complimentary about the government in a lot of cases, aren't they? Sadly, yes. I mean, the first thing I'd say is there is a difference between what is being said at the tops and what is going on on the ground. Mm. And despite what we've said in the previous bit about the fact that at the moment most people are focused on getting the virus out the way, dealing with the virus, and we'll come to 
fighting for their rights in general later, workers who are still in work, and that's a significant number, it's mm. at least five million, a lot of them are having to fight for their own health and safety at the moment. And that is taking place. There have been a whole series of walkouts because legally in this country, we don't have many laws in defence of workers, but <laughs> if you are not safe in the workplace, you do not have to work. Yeah. And so people are walking out to say, we're not safe. Mm. And we've seen postal workers, refuse workers, a whole number of others, construction workers, mm -hmm. walking out in order to get proper health and safety, or in some cases to get their factories shut down when they think they're not essential work. Others have won victories without actually having to resort to walking out, but by taking control, saying, we're the people who are doing the job, we're going to decide how it's done. Mm. Just what's happened on the London buses is a very good example of that, in which Socialist Party members have been quite key and in, involved in that campaign as London bus drivers. Mm. I mean, it's appalling the official figures are that 26 London bus drivers have died so far from COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And they've taken their own action to close off the front of the buses where people get on and pay and come close to the drivers mm -hmm. and to get people to get on through the back doors so they don't have to come close to the drivers. And they've done that independently and imposed it on the private bus companies. But as a result of that action, Sadiq Khan the London mayor, Labour London mayor, who, right was not, Labour. Yeah, yeah, who was not doing anything, but under that pressure has now said that as of Monday, you don't have to pay on London buses, you can get on for free, which of course means no one has to go anywhere near the driver if they come on the back doors, and it will be much safer for the drivers. Mm. But that has been won, not from the top, but by workers taking action themselves. And also, there's been a lot of people joining the trade unions. The figures across the board, teachers' unions civil servants unions, the United General Union have all had big hikes in membership. And obviously that's not just workers in the workplace. It's workers who are working from home or furloughed, realising that the collective organisation of the working class is they need it mm. in this situation and joining up to the trade unions. So all that's very good. But as you indicated in your question, it's different at the top, mm. unfortunately. Again, this is unfortunately normal at the start of a war that the capitalist class have this big campaign that we've all got to work together in the supposed national interest. But we have to be clear, the interests of the working class are not the same as the interests of the capitalist class in a time of crisis, just as the rest of the time. Right now, as we've already said, big business care about dealing with this virus primarily to protect their own profits. Mm. That's what they're interested in, whereas we're interested in the health and well-being of the population as a whole. And the working class needs its own independent voice. But there's always a campaign. You know, in the Second World War, they brought trade union leaders into the cabinet yeah. to bring trade union leaders into this national unity approach. And unfortunately, if you read, for example, the TUC's statement, that's the overriding body of the trade unions in Britain, mm -hmm. if you read their statement on the coronavirus, it's got lots of good points in it, but the essence of it sums up that approach because it says that they need to bring together a task force of unions and employers to help coordinate the national effort to defeat the virus. So it's the idea we've all got the same interests. And even left union leaders have succumbed to that approach. Mark Zvotka, for example, the General Secretary of the Civil Servants Union, said in a little film I watched that he was putting out on Facebook that the union was going to park 
its members' demands until the <laughs> corona crisis was over. So these are members were having to go into crowded offices, yeah. often without social distancing yeah. or proper hygiene, to deal with the hundreds of thousands, two million, in fact, you've just given mm. the statistic, people who are claiming for unemployment right now, or having to develop on the fly government policy to deal with all these headline announcements which are coming out of Westminster without any infrastructure being put in place for it, and their trade union leader is saying, uh, well, never mind about the office closures and, the, yeah. and, and our demands for an increased pay and this sort of thing. No, exactly. When, let's face it, right now, civil servants are needed and they have some leverage if mm. they use it to demand, for example, that all the universal credit planes are just paid without any checks to do it fast and also to demand pay increases for themselves, decent health and safety and all the other necessary measures. Mm. So there's a problem at the top at the moment in the trade unions and also, there's a problem at the top of the Labour Party. Um, <laughs> you yes. can say that again. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, we've had Keir Starmer elected as leader of the Labour Party. And that is a defeat because under Jeremy Corbyn, there's no time to go into all of this in this podcast, but Labour did not become a socialist party. Mm-hmm. It still had a majority of pro-capitalist MPs, pro-capitalist councillors, a pro-capitalist machine which, as we've all seen with the dossier that's come out, that's been leaked, what we already knew was doing everything it could to annihilate Corbynism, including working for Labour's defeat in the 2017 election Mm. because they'd rather have a Tory government if that meant they could get rid of Jeremy Corbyn. So that was their approach throughout. Unfortunately, the leaders of the left in the Labour Party did not have an uncompromising campaign to turn Labour into a socialist party, which would have meant deselecting and removing those Blairites, Mm. but instead continually compromised with them. And that led to their defeat. That's what's happened in this leadership election. I mean, Starmer has not stood openly as a Blairite. okay? because he couldn't have won if he'd done that. But by your friends shall you be known. He was backed by Labour first. He was backed by Progress. They're the two most Blairite groupings in the Labour Party. Well, Progress was actually founded by Tony Blair. Indeed, exactly. And he was backed by George Osborne, that well-known anti-austerity <laughs> campaigner. Yeah, so this is the former Tory Chancellor, editor of the Evening Standard newspaper and the architect of austerity. Indeed, yeah. So that tells you something about Keir Starmer, as does the fact that he has made clear from the beginning he would be willing to join a national government. So in other words, rather than fight for the independent rights of the working class, Mm. to join a government in the supposed national interest, which would in reality be propping up a Tory government. Mm. That's what he would be doing if he did that. Now, to be clear, that's not on the cards right now. So his willingness to do it is not necessarily going to be acted on. Okay. But why is that? The Financial Times, the day after Starmer's victory, and the Financial Times is where big business talk to each other more than any other paper probably in Britain at the moment. Mm -hmm. They had a very interesting editorial. First of all, of course, they welcome the return of a competent opposition, i.e. a capitalist (laughs) opposition. But then they warned him to, quote, to resist being drawn in too tightly to the current government because while Boris Johnson still maintains support in a national emergency... Much of it will be shallow and short-lived, as we have been discussing, in fact. And what they're saying is that unless there's absolutely no alternative, Starmer should keep his hands clean. And the reason is because they understand that Johnson's popularity can be shattered. Mm -hmm. 
that you could see mass uprisings against the effects of this virus further down the road. The Tories could be out of office and they want a safe capitalist second 11 that is not associated with what's been done at the heat of the crisis to come in and rule in their interest. That's why they want Starmer not to join a national government mm. rather than because the reasons they wouldn't have wanted Corbyn in a national government that he was not... <laughs> thankfully, I mean, he headed a bit in that direction, but Corbyn did say he wouldn't join a national government. Correctly. Uh, cor- absolutely correctly. <laughs> but for them, he was beyond the pale, a Marxist and so on. Mm. Don't think he's exactly a Marxist, <laughs> but it reflects that for him, he wasn't trustworthy to act in the interests of the capitalist class, Sure. whereas Starmer absolutely is. But all of that shows how worried the capitalist class are about the future. Mm-hmm. And they are right to be worried. Just to finish, COVID-19, the crisis flowing from it, is turning the world upside down. And it is bringing out all of the kind of fault lines which already existed in terms of a developing world economic slowdown, the enormous inequality that exists, the accumulated anger of working class people against relentless austerity. I've recently read a book on the 1918 flu pandemic mm-hmm. called Pale Rider by a woman called Laura Spinney, and it's got lots of interesting stuff in it. But in her conclusions, she describes how that pandemic fanned the flames that had been smouldering since before the Russian revolutions of 1917 by highlighting inequality and illuminating the injustice of colonialism and sometimes of capitalism too. And she gives a whole series of examples of uprisings that took place in the aftermath of the 1919 flu epidemic linked to the differential about who suffered during that pandemic. Now, we're not in exactly the same situation. We do not have a successful workers' revolution having just taken place. (laughs) But look, let's remember, on a global scale, just before all this started... There were a whole series of mass movements against inequality, Mm -hmm. against the impoverishment of the working class that were uniting and bringing together previously divided sections of the working class and the poor in Iraq, in Chile, France, countless countries. They've been temporarily cut across by this, but actually it will have fueled that mood enormously on the other side of the immediate lockdown and in our view not that there won't be opportunities for the right nothing's automatic here Mm. but there are going to be real opportunities to build mass support for socialist ideas to build mass parties of the working class with a socialist program and to prepare the ground for the successful socialist transformation of society so you know that's our view on the outcome of this crisis thank you very much hannah no problem Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for a Workers' International. Today we heard from Hannah Sell and I'm James Ivans. This episode was edited by Nick Hart. Socialism, the podcast, has no wealthy backers. We need your help to maintain our independent political voice right when it's most important during this generation-defining global catastrophe. We survive thanks to the financial support of ordinary working class and young people. So we're always asking for finance. But right now, because we can't raise money from our usual campaign activity on the streets, in working class communities, workplaces and so on, we need it more than ever. The pandemic is disrupting us too, which is why this week's episode is appearing a day late. So help us take the fight to big business. You can make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. 
If you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party is fighting for, we need you. Join our campaign to build a truly effective, working-class, socialist fighting force in the trade union and labour movement. Join the Socialist Party now. Send us your details at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. If you live outside England and Wales and want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for a Workers' International by visiting socialistworld.net. You can find further reading on this episode in the episode notes in your podcast app and at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast. And for the latest statements on working class demands, socialist analysis and reports from the front line, check the Socialist Party's website, socialistparty.org.uk and our Facebook page. If you have comments, questions or something you want to hear from us, contact us on Socialism Podcast at socialistparty.org.uk Help us spread the word by giving us a five-star review and subscribing so you don't miss out. And don't forget to recommend us to your co-workers and friends. Till next time, solidarity. Solidarity.